Um, yeah, it's an honor to worship with you guys. Um, honor to open up uh, God's holy word this morning uh, with you all. So let me go ahead and pray, and uh, we will we will jump into the scriptures. Father, it is a, it's an absolute privilege to gather with your people. It's an absolute privilege to come and to um, sing songs declaring your your worthiness and your holiness and your grace um, towards us as, as sinful people. And God, as we now turn to your scriptures, Father, we ask for um, help um, by your Holy Spirit to illuminate truth to us. God, help us to, to see in this text um, your goodness, your grace to us. Help us to see our sin, God, and help us to see how you've um, covered our sin through the work of Jesus Christ, um, your, your perfect and, and holy son. God, as we come to your word, we ask that, God, uh, through hearing it, God, you would, uh, you would begin to transform us um, more and more into the image of your son and to live lives that are glorifying to you, um, that are pleasing to you, and ultimately that are good, healthy, and beneficial to us. So, God, be with us and teach us by your spirit. Would you lift up your son, Jesus Christ, before us, and may we marvel at him and, uh, and just worship him today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going, to be, uh, we're going to be in Colossians uh, chapter 2, um, if you want to flip there. Um, before, we, uh, before I read the, the passage, um, I want to set a little bit of, uh, of the context up for you with, uh, with a story from my own uh, uh, experience um, going back to, uh, to high school. So in high school, one of the things I was uh, really excited about, really into, was basketball, and um, one of the things my friends and I did together is we were kind of, we really wanted to increase our vertical. Um, we were very, uh, we're not very aerodynamic. And so we really were, were trying to figure out some type of way to, to increase our ability to jump high. Um, that's a key aspect of the sport of basketball, if you're familiar with it. And so we would uh, kind of just look through magazines, try to Google things like, how do I increase my vertical leap? How do I increase my vertical? And we came across these, uh, this program with these shoes called Air Alert. Um, and uh, I don't know if it was from NASA, but the shoes look like something astronauts would wear. So there's these big black shoes with a giant circle on the front for the ball of your feet. And so basically they would ask you to run and to train in these gigantic, awkward space shoes. And so we did that, and we thought, this is going to be the magic silver bullet that's going to increase our vertical. And it's going to happen in like three days. <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and I won't even need to finish high school. And we, we just, we thought this was going to be the key to increasing our vertical. We thought that we could find one simple thing that would be quick, immediate, easy, and painless, and it would produce the type of growth that we were looking for. And as we actually turn to this passage in Colossians, um, Paul is going to, uh, the author of this book, uh, is going to encourage the Colossian church to not swerve from the faith that they've received and not swerve from the gospel. And as he teaches the Colossian church not to swerve from the gospel, but instead to stand firm in Christ, he's actually going to show us what it looks like to actually grow in Christ. And so often we think, like my high school friend and I thought, we often think that there is one magic bullet that is going to produce spiritual growth in us. You know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. I was like, man, I wonder if there's an iPhone app for my sanctification. 
I wonder if I can find an application that will make me grow in holiness. And, and often we, we think like that. And as we look to this passage, Paul's going to encourage the Colossians church to stay rooted in Christ, to walk with Christ. And as he does that, we're actually going to see what does it look like to have spiritual growth happen. Okay, so let's turn to the passage, Colossians 2. We're going to be mostly in verses 6 and 7. Um, so this is um, Paul, an author uh, who wrote much of the New Testament, writing to a, a newly formed church, verses 6 and 7 of Colossians 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So a little context, if we were to even look just at the verses around this, we would go up to four, we would go up to verse eight. Um, we would see this, Colossians is a new church, um, and, and threats were coming towards their faith. They were getting pulled into rituals that they thought they needed to obey to really be accepted by God and, and, and not just the work of Christ. There was a funky doctrine that was beginning to enter into the church. And so if you look up to, uh, to verse um, five before we get a little of this context, Paul says, though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul's saying, I want to see you guys firm and rooted in Christ. If we were to go down to verse 8, we see Paul give this other, another admonishment to, to not swerve from the gospel and go to weird teachings. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So that gives us some of the context um, that, that Paul is, is writing into for the Colossians. And Paul's way of trying to keep the Colossians firmly grounded in Jesus Christ is to remind them of what they've received. Right, so exactly what we see in, uh, in verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Um, Notice that what Paul is doing, he's pulling them back to their conversion. He's pulling them back to what they first heard and believed about Jesus when they first came to faith. And I think one of the things that's important here is we think about what does it look like to be rooted in Christ? What does it look like to grow in Christ? Is, is to look at what we've even received initially. Now, notice that Paul says, you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. We haven't received rules. We haven't received a philosophy. We haven't received uh, uh, advice about how to live. We've received Christ Jesus the Lord. What this means is that to, to enter into God's family, we don't take advice and, and begin to follow it. We receive the declaration that Jesus Christ saves sinners through his life, death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave. And Paul is reminding the Colossians as they're getting all of this weird teaching that's trying to pull them astray. He's saying, hey, remember what you've received. Remember who you were, who you were uh, taught about. Remember who was declared to you. Christ Jesus the Lord. I spent some time at Western uh, teaching um, English to freshmen, and freshmen are a very funny uh, group of people. Um, they're very new to things, and so when they try to write papers and write essays, they often try to fill a word count. Um, and so, for instance, you will get a sentence uh, from, from students that would say, you know, the book that we just read was marvelously excellent with a side of stupendous intellectual insight. And, and they're just trying to fill this word count. I'm just like, why wouldn't you just say this book was excellent? And, and as we look at this, notice that Paul is saying, Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul's not trying to fill a word count. He's not. 
Every word in the scriptures, God breathed. And Paul is doing something intentional here to keep the Colossians on track. He's saying, you didn't just receive, uh, he's not just saying Jesus, he's not just trying to fill in words. He says, Christ Jesus the Lord. All of those titles about our Savior have deep significance. Paul is trying to show off the worthiness of Jesus Christ to this church and to us as we hear God's word. Here's the significance. The Christ, Jesus, is the Messiah. He's the promised one for thousands and thousands of years. Jesus is the promised Savior of the world. Jesus, God, saves. Lord, he is king, ruler, director, the one in charge of everything. And Paul is saying, that's who you received. That's who you cling to. Don't turn to other stuff. That's who you've received. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. The point that Paul's trying to make is that it is incredible that we can receive Jesus. Do you ever think about that? How miraculous it is for sinful people to be able to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And Paul is trying to remind them of that spectacular grace of God as he warns them from swerving. And to receive Jesus means you've got to receive his person and his work. To receive Jesus means you have to believe that Christ died for your sins. To receive him as Messiah, as the promised one, as the Savior, you have to realize that you need saving. And so if you're here and you haven't received Jesus, if this stuff isn't making sense, I implore you to trust in Jesus Trust in him, in his person, in his work, his life, his death, his resurrection. And Paul reminds them of what they've received, and then he gives, he gives this, this command. As you received him, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. So Paul gives this command, you re- just as you received him, keep moving forward in him, keep walking him, in him. This is kind of the, the next logical steps. Like if you, if you were to receive a car, the next step would be to drive it. Paul says, if you've received Christ, keep walking in him. Don't swerve from one to one thing to the next. Keep walking in Christ. And, and here's the reason that we desperately need this command. It seems so logical, but we desperately need the command to keep walking in Christ. Because there are two major errors that we can swerve into. And I'm going to guess one of them is probably very familiar to, uh, to you if you're anything like me. We have two major things that we can swerve into. Um, instead of walking in Jesus, we can, we can turn to self-effort. Um, we, can, we can turn to this idea that, oh, okay, I received Jesus. I believed in what he has done. I believe in the gospel. And now the rest of my Christian walk, the rest of my Christian life, the rest of my spiritual growth is dependent on my effort, my wisdom, my resolutions, and my pulling myself up by the bootstraps. Does this sound familiar to any of you? And I want you to hear this quote from, uh, from Jerry Bridges, an author who I think literally has written like 90 books about the gospel. Um, this guy's incredible. Everywhere I go, he's got a book, so good for him. Um, here's a quote that he writes that I think gets to this idea of us turning from walking in Christ to walking in our own effort after we receive him. And see if this, uh, this resonates with you in your life at all. He says, I assume that God's acceptance of me and his blessing in my life depended on how well I did. I knew I was saved by grace through faith in Christ, so receiving him, apart from any works. I had assurance of my salvation and expected to go to heaven when I died. 
But in my daily life, I thought God's blessing depended on the practice of certain spiritual disciplines, such as having a quiet time and not knowingly committing any sins. I did not think this out loud, but just unconsciously assumed it. Yet it determined my attitude towards the whole Christian life. And you guys connect with that? That you're falling into this pattern of, I know that I've received Jesus, I know I'm saved by grace, but as we pursue spiritual growth, we think it's almost dependent on how well we do and how much effort we exert. And then when we don't exert as much effort as we should or don't do as well as we should or as well as God commands, we begin to think that God is going to remove his love from us, right? That's kind of that Monday morning feeling, right? And so that is the self-effort that we are prone to wander into. The other danger we're prone to wander into is to shift from what we've actually received. So we're prone to wander into self-effort, and we're prone to walk away from what we've received. This is getting into funky doctrine. This is mixing the gospel and the word of God with Ellen and Oprah and pop culture and all sorts of wacky stuff. And this is something that is easier to see, and this walking in self-effort is much more subtle. It can often be particularly dangerous. And so this is why we need this charge. And this is exactly what was threatening the Colossians. And one question you might have, though, is we're looking at this, this text, and Paul is saying, walk in him. Don't swerve here. Don't swerve here. Walk in Christ. That language, walk in him, that's not normal, Right? How often do you guys say stuff like, oh, walk in him, when you're talking about the action of walking, right? That, that sounds um, somewhat painful if it's, it's taken literally. And so Paul is not just saying walk, he's saying walk in him. And, and what does this mean? Why is this significant? You know, what Paul is trying to do with this language, he's trying to remind us as Christians that we can do no spiritual good apart from God's grace, that we are dependent on Jesus. Jesus says it in John 15, 5, for, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you realize that? That we can't grow spiritually. You can't pro- make progress in the faith without God's grace. It's both God's grace that saves us, but it's also God's grace that grows us. And Paul is trying to direct us towards that truth when he says, walk in him. Grace saves us, grace grows us. But there's a deeper reason that Paul is mentioning walk in him. And it's a truth that I think if we remember it, if we believe it, and if we keep going back to it, it will deeply encourage us and we will actually begin to see great progress by God's grace as we try to walk um, in Christ and grow spiritually. Here's the reason that Paul says walk in him. Paul is trying to remind us that when we received the gospel, we were united to Jesus. So Paul says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And when he says walk in him, he's pointing us back to the fact that when we received Jesus, we were united to him. So the command to walk in him is a command to live in light of who we already are. Do you see that? So Paul isn't saying, hey, walk in him, get it together, walk in such a way that you become deeply connected to Jesus. He's saying you received Jesus, so you're already deeply united and connected to him. And now that you realize you're deeply united and connected to Christ, now walk out of what you are. It's incredible. And this is the truth of, uh, of union with Christ. 
That's, the, that's what Paul is pointing at. Anytime you see the phrase in Christ in the Bible, almost anytime you see that in the New Testament, it's getting at this idea of union with Christ. Can you guys say union with Christ? Union with Christ. Awesome. You guys will do anything I say. Okay. <laughs> union with Christ. And, and what this means is, this means the moment God brought you to faith in Jesus Christ, in that moment, you became united to him through faith so that he is united to you by his spirit so that all the benefits of his life, of his death, of his resurrection are yours. That's how Christ's righteousness is given to you. And that's how your sin is put on him because you're united to him through faith in the gospel by the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's trying to remind them of this union with Christ. He's trying to push them back into this truth that that happened the moment they received him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And what's, what's particularly cool about this is if you think about union with Christ, listen to these comforting truths that come from it. It means Jesus is yours and you are his. It means he is in you by his spirit. It means Jesus is actually personally and deeply present in the lives of every single believer. And it means that his benefits come to you. That Christ shares in all of his benefits with you and I, lowly sinners. That's what union with Christ means. That's what we get access to. And as I was thinking about this, is Paul is reminding them of union with Christ in the context of warning them to not swerve to weird teachings or not to wander from Jesus. And, and I was thinking, I was like, man, what, what's like the imagery like? And, and it, it made me think that, that reminding someone of union with Christ when they're trying to wander from Jesus is like a leash. It's like if you're already united to Jesus the moment you received him, why would you wander into anything else? Why would you try to solely grow by your self-effort? If you're already united to Christ from the moment you received him and believed in the gospel, why would you lend an ear to strange or weird teaching that's not in line with the gospel or God's word? This doesn't make sense when you remember that you're united to Jesus Christ. Here's even a sweeter thing about union with Christ. As Paul continues, as he defines that truth or hints at it, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So think about um, this idea of walking and growing in Jesus. And he says, walk in him rooted and built up. What's really incredible about this idea of union with Christ and what's really incredible about this phrase, walk in him rooted, is the language of rooted is similar to one of the last phrases Jesus gives before he dies. It's a three-word phrase, it is finished. And in that phrase, the language of that phrase, it is finished in the Gospels, is, is the language of a phrase that is a, a one-time thing that is done but it has uh, implications and impacts far into the future. It changes everything. And that's the, the same idea of, of rooted. It's a past work, a finished work that has huge effects into the present. Um, and the reason it does is because Paul is saying, walk in him and be rooted. But guess what? We were already rooted when we received him. 
And so again, Paul is calling us to live out of what we already are. Think of how freeing that is. You know, think of, think of how freeing your walk with Jesus would be when you try to pursue spiritual growth if you realize you're not walking in order to get closer and, and more united to him. You're already united to him. Think of, think of how that would free you. You'd probably stop turning to magic silver bullets to try to get spiritual growth. You'd, you'd probably stop getting depressed when it feels like God is distant because you remember, man, the moment I received him, Jesus became united to me and I became united to him. And so that while my experience of him may feel distant, objectively, he is for me and he is with me and he is near. And I know that because he saved me through the gospel and I was united to him in that moment that I received him. You know, you, you'd probably stop trying to earn God's love because you know you already have it in Christ. So union with Christ, this truth that we are already united, we are already rooted in Jesus the moment we received him and believed in the gospel begins to change everything. Begins to change everything as we go Monday through Friday, that time where we're not in community like this and the struggles of sin begin to hit us over the face like a two by four. It changes everything. Changes everything when we begin to condemn ourselves because we're not living up to God's holy standard. It helps us to rest in what Christ has done and not our own self-effort. And here's what's beautiful about this passage. I mean, there's many things beautiful about this passage. But the, the truth that we are united to Christ when we received him, we are rooted in him, it means we're going to grow in him if we keep pressing forward. If we keep pressing forward. And so Paul uses this language so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He uses this language of, of built up and established, uh, invoking imagery of, of a tree firmly planted, of a building with a good foundation that, that can be built on and continue to, to grow and to flourish. Um, you know, when you, th you think about uh, how often we try to turn to certain things to produce deep spiritual growth in us, right? It might be a conference or like, man, once I read this book, I'm really going to grow. Or man, once I hear this guy preach, I'm really going to grow. Or you know what, once I get more disciplined with this, I'm really, really actually going to grow. None of those things are bad. But we have all that we need for growing in godliness, in holiness, in God's word, in being united to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're already connected to the ultimate power source for growing, Jesus himself by his spirit. And so what Paul is saying here is saying, you're already rooted, so you're going to be built up. Keep walking in him. You're, this is going to happen because you're united to Christ, the power source for growth and change in the Christian life. And that's why he's trying to warn the Colossians, why would you turn to anything else? It's stupid. It's foolishness. It's ridiculous. It's tomfoolery, if you want to use a fancy word. I had to throw that in there somewhere. It's in my notes. So here's maybe where you're at right now. You're like, okay, I agree with all of this. You know, this, this man with this large hair has not come in here and spoken anything strange. I agree with everything that he said. But maybe you're wondering, okay, what is it? I've heard, I've heard this idea of walking him. What does this actually look like, right? Because I'll be honest, everything that I've said to this point is, is theological. It's a little abstract. It, it'd be hard to, to figure out what does this mean for me tomorrow, what does it mean for me for the rest of this week? What does it actually look like tangibly to walk in Christ if I'm already united to him? 
And I think I would define this idea, this call to walk in him. It's, it's really a sense to remember that you've received Jesus. It's a call to remember you've received him. It's a call to remember you're united to him. And, and it's a call then out of that remembrance to move forward in your communion with him. And what I mean by communion with him, I mean your relationship with him. And so I think if I were to try to define walk in him, it is to remember you're united to him, remember what you've received in the gospel of grace, and to then press forward in growing with Jesus through communion with him, daily relationship with him. So what does it look like to be built and established in light of this walking in him? I think God gives us means of grace that that allow us to walk in him. And I think he gives us three big ones that, that if we grab hold of, we can do what Paul is exhorting the church to do here. I think the means of grace that God gives us to, to grow and to walk in Jesus, primarily, first and foremost, he gives us his word. You ever think of how amazing it is that, that we don't have to look up at the stars or try to get a telescope uh, to try to figure out who God is, what he's done, what he wants from us, what his character is like? We have his word. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. And so one of the primary means of grace that God gives to us is his holy scriptures. You know, think about the situation the Colossians are in, right? False teaching on this side, um, funky stuff on this side, prone to self-effort in, on this side, right? And, and we deal with the same thing. Think of how guarded, though, you become to those things if we're going to God's word. God's word will help protect us from falling into self-effort because as we go to God's word, we see grace. We see Jesus exalted as the hero. We see Jesus exalted as the savior. We see God's forgiveness towards sinners. So we realize it's not dependent on our effort. We see God's truth and his character and his plan for salvation revealed and that guards us from funky doctrine. God's word is there for us as a beautiful resource to grow in the faith and to grow in our knowledge of God. It protects us from all of these errors that creep in around us all the time, wandering to weird teaching in our own prone hearts that, that want to wander into self-effort. So God's word keeps us there. It's like, it's like water on the roots of a tree. All right, it's hard to wander when you square things up to God's word. It's possible because we're sinful, but it's hard. So, so a question for you is, what's the authority in your life? If you think of this call to walk in him and to grow out of your union with Christ, what's an authority in your life? What do you go to? What do you sit under? Is it advice of people? Is it CNN? Is it ESPN? Like what has sway in your life? What impacts the decisions that you make, the way that you live? Right, God says in Isaiah 66, he says, the one that I look to is the one who is humble in spirit, humble and contrite and trembles at my word. That disposition is one that, that reflects a desire to walk in Christ, to walk in him. And another great means of grace that God gives us is a community, gives us a church. Right? God doesn't just save us individually, he saves us into a people. And that protects us from self-effort, keeps us walking in Christ, keeps us protected from, from strange teaching that's contrary to the gospel, gives us his church. And when you think about it, we actually see that right here because guess what? Paul is writing to a church. We're seeing community at work as we look at this passage. Paul is helping the Colossian church to, to avoid all of these, these things that are harmful and, and not glorifying to God. And so uh, community is the beauty of the church. Basically, I was thinking about this this week, is kind of you get help from other wanderers who are prone to wandering and are helping you to not wander. It's kind of what it's like. We need each other. Yeah, I mean, stuff like home groups, that is needed. 
You cannot walk with Jesus on your own. Otherwise, he would have just saved us and commissioned us to random countries all over the place and we would be kind of solo like the Christian Avengers preaching the gospel all over the world. He saved us into a church, into a community where we get to walk with one another, bear one another's burdens, and help one another grow in grace. It's an incredible means of grace that God has given. And particularly, just to even see the diversity here at your church, God has gifted you guys in the, in the church that you have here at Christ Church. And so God has given you guys a special gift where you have um, just beautiful diversity here. And you get to enjoy that and steward that and be one another's lives and point one another to Jesus and pr- encourage one another to continue to walk in him. So God has blessed us in that way. It's a huge means of grace. And one of the other means of grace that God, God has given us is, um, is prayer. Prayer. Word and prayer in the church. And when you think about prayer uh, on its most basic level, it's communion with God. And, if, to, and if, if we're defining this idea of walking in him as communion with Jesus and moving forward out of our union with him and out of our, our new standing with him from the gospel, then prayer is a huge part of walking in Jesus. We get to speak to him. We get to talk to him. We get to say stuff, Jesus, help me. I'm depending on my own effort right now. Jesus, help me. I feel prone to wandering and walking in my self-effort and not depending on your grace. Jesus, help me. I am condemning myself over this sin, and I know you've already taken my condemnation when you bled and died on the cross. Right? So prayer is a huge means of grace. You know, think of, think of, if we were to even combine, combine these last two means of grace, the church community and prayer, man, if you guys really want to see Christ church walk in him, Praying for one another. Lifting one another up in prayer. Asking God by his Holy Spirit to make Christ's church a place where people walk deeply with Jesus and that begins to transform Bellingham. Those types of things are are things that we get to be active in out of our union with Christ, out of receiving Jesus, out of already being united to him, already being forgiven, already being secure, and we get to move forward in those things to keep growing by God's grace. And we have the promise that, that God will continue to grow us because he's already saved us and we're already united to him. And one of the things um, about this passage that I found really interesting is that there are really only two things we actively do in this passage. One of them is we walk in Christ, but we do that out of already being rooted in him. So that's kind of like a, a half thing we do. Right? We do it in fuel, uh, fueled by the Holy Spirit, fueled by grace. But one thing we really do actively, again, though, by, by the help of uh, the Holy Spirit and by grace, is abound in thanksgiving. If you were to look at this passage, look at the language, that's really the thing that we do. That's kind of our, uh, our pom-poms we get to shake. We get to abound in thanksgiving. That's kind of our thing in this passage. And Paul concludes um, this text, this, this little verse says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul's describing the walk, the relationship, uh, the daily life uh, of a Christian, their relationship with Jesus. He says it's a, it's a rooted walk because you've already been united to Christ when you received him. It's a walk where you get built up and established, and it's a thankful walk. It's a thankful walk. Um, thankfulness. You know, a lack of thankfulness comes from a sense of entitlement. Do you ever think about that? If you're not thankful, it's because you're prideful, most likely, and you feel really entitled. 
You know, so I, I thought about this for myself. I think, okay, when I'm not thankful towards my wife, when she you know, maybe makes a meal for me or does something kind for me, it's because I expect it. It's because I say, well, of course you're going to make me a meal. I'm the king of my home. <laughs> this is standard fare. Where is my throne? You know, it's, it's just it's foolish pride and it's entitlement that leads to a lack of uh, a lack of thankfulness. And that is absolutely true in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Absolutely true. And, and so if we're rightly understanding God's grace, if we're rightly understanding what he has done for us in Christ, then thankfulness will become a pillar of our, of our walk with Jesus. You know, because, because what we know from Scripture is that as sinners who have rebelled against a holy God, we deserve nothing except condemnation. Yet in Jesus, we receive everything. We're forgiven. We're declared righteous. We're restored into relationship with our creator. We're called co-heirs with Christ. That means we share in his reign and his rule and his kingdom of eternal life. We have an identity that's secure. We're adopted as sons and daughters. We have everything. And so thankfulness then becomes something, as we remember that, becomes a pillar of our relationship with God. You know, and as I was kind of looking through... Um, Colossians, I was thinking, what, what are some reasons that we have to be thankful that are maybe specific to, to Colossians and what Paul is uh, teaching um, in this particular book? And, and here are some. So just here are some. So man, if you want to close your eyes and just hear them, um, but I, I really pray that God would impact you just hearing a list of, of reasons we have to be thankful because of God's grace. Because of God's grace, we get to be thankful that our sins are forgiven by God at great cost to himself. We get to be thankful for the person that told us about Jesus. As Paul reminds them, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, we get to be thankful for the person that God used to tell you about Jesus Christ. We're going to be thankful that we have actually heard the gospel when there are millions of real people who have yet to even hear the name of Jesus Christ. You're going to be thankful that God loves you based on Christ's perfect obedience, not your perfect obedience. You're going to be thankful that God promises that he will grow you if you are in Christ. There's no doubt about it. You're going to be thankful that God gives us other people, namely the church, to walk with you, to help you to grow in Jesus. You're going to be thankful that God doesn't demand that you walk perfectly in order to become rooted in Christ, but he has rooted us when we received us, and we grow because of that. Ultimately, we're going to be thankful that God saves by grace, and he grows us by grace. We have so many reasons to be thankful. Because of God's grace. That's why we get to abound in thankfulness. And so, a litmus test. Would you describe your walk with Jesus as a Scrooge-like walk in terms of thankfulness? Or is it a thankful walk? Right? How, how, much of, how much of your prayer is marked by thankfulness? Or is it all intercession? All petition? And that's not bad. But how much of it is marked by thankfulness? How often do you thank Jesus for the big, the little, the small, the in-between? And to grow in that, just look back at all the gracious gifts he's given us that flow from the gospel. One of the things about thankfulness that's amazing is that thankfulness will actually make your walk closer because you will actually begin to appreciate the little things that God is doing. So, so for example, Paul gives this charge, walk in him. So, you know, 
you're, you're trying to keep your communion with Jesus strong and, and, you know, Monday comes, that's tomorrow, and it's a struggle, but man, you, you have a, a, just a great time praying or, or reading your Bible before work or at lunch or before bed. Are you prone to be thankful for that? Are you prone to say, Jesus, thank you that you gave me, that you made your word interesting to me today? Because it's not like that all the time. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thankfulness in that little moment begins to make your walk sweeter and begins to fuel your communion with him. Right? Because you're, you're stopping, you're taking a moment to look and recognize what God is doing in that particular moment of your life to keep your walk with Jesus moving forward, to keep you growing in your communion with Christ. And so just stopping and being thankful for what God is doing is actually fuels your walk in intimacy with your father. And so one thing that um, a pastor named C.J. Mahaney uh, talks about that I found really helpful is this idea of evidences of grace. Little things that you can stop and, and say, man, I'm thankful for this. I see God's grace in that. So it might be, you know what? I drove in traffic today and I didn't commit homicide in my heart towards the person that cut me off. Praise God. That's an evidence of grace. I'm actually growing, and I'm growing as a Christian. That happened less this week than it did last week. That's incredible, right? Or, God, I'm excited to read this book of the Old Testament. Last week, I didn't know it existed, but I am excited to read it. Thank you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So, so stopping and being thankful for what God is doing. Um, and again, benefits that we get from receiving Jesus. And we'll close with that from Colossians. Um, and this is a summary that's more specific to the, to the book and what Paul lays out. Um, here, he, he, you know, Paul starts this, this passage, this charge. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And I want you guys again to, to hear the benefits that you have if you trust in Jesus, benefits that come from receiving him, from believing in the gospel, believing that Christ saved you through his life, death, and resurrection. You have a hope laid up for you in heaven. You share in the inheritance of the saints of light. You've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. You have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. You were once alienated from God, and now you're restored by Christ's death. You have the hope of glory because Christ is in you, and you were once dead, and now you've been made spiritually alive. Those are benefits we get from receiving Jesus as Paul says in verse 6, highlighted from the book of Colossians. And the ultimate reason for us to have a thankful walk, the main reason for us to overflow in thankfulness towards God, is simple, we overlook it, but it's profound. It's because we've received Jesus. We've received Jesus Christ. That is a divine miracle that we have received Jesus. It takes the, the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to faith, and when that happens, all the, the floodgates of God's grace and all of his benefits flow to us. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adopted as sons and daughters, welcomed into his family, saved not based on our performance, but Jesus' performance. So the, the primary reason, Christ Church, that you have to be thankful in your walk with Jesus is because you have Jesus. It's an incredible gift of God. And as we're thankful for that, man, it is so hard to wander into weird teaching, and it's slightly harder to wander into self-effort when we stop and we realize that, man, I get to be thankful because I've received Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you that uh, you have made a way in your sovereign and perfect grace. You have made a way for sinful people to be reconciled and restored to you. God, and you've done it at great cost to yourself. You've done it at the expense of, of your son who took your, your holy and your perfect and your righteous wrath, satisfied it completely. And in doing that on the cross, by faith, we've received his perfect life. We've received his righteousness. And now we stand before you fully accepted, not on our merits, but on the merits of your son. And so, God, I pray for, I pray for us. I pray for Christ's church. God, would you... Um, Continue to equip the, the elders and the leaders to, to help this church to walk in your son. To, to enjoy and feast on your means of grace, your word, your church community and prayer. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this church and, what, and the impact that, that you are bringing about in them and through them in Bellingham. God, would you, would you make this church a church that abounds in thanksgiving? 